Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode, we'll be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners, and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Professor Lorraine Carter in this episode. Lorraine has decades of experience as an online educator, and she has some important insights related to instructional design and teamwork. She's also a firm believer in keeping online education focused on the cultivating of people. I'm talking with Professor Lorraine Carter, Director of McMaster University Continuing Education, and previously a full professor in nursing while teaching in a school of nursing. Lorraine is a much-decorated online educator, recognised for her leadership, teaching and research, and it's great to be talking with you. Hello, Lorraine. Hello, Mark. It is good to be here and great to have this conversation with you. Lorraine, can we get started with a brief overview of your career and online teaching? My roots, if you will, in terms of online education go back prior to online education's existence, at least in Canada. I trained as a, a secondary school teacher and got my first run in the teaching and learning world in, um, I'm going to say the early 80s, I'm going to be very brave and share that, um, (laughs) where I was actually an English teacher in a a wonderful school in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Um, I was caught in a window of time where there were situations of redundancy for for new teachers. Uh, And hence, I said after a window of time that I was going to go uh, out to the university and, and see what I could explore and um, discover as teaching opportunities there. So in the later 80s, I went to Laurentian University, and um, that was the beginning of quite a journey in terms of uh, teaching first and then progressing into the area of online education. Um, My first discipline is, uh, I think I've indicated, it is English. Uh, And I had the wonderful opportunity to co-develop a couple of um, English and communications-related courses uh, through the Centre for Continuing Education uh, and loved the experience. I then, however, uh, grew into online education in an alternate way, uh, doing a fair bit of curriculum development work for the Continuing Education Unit And um, in particular in the health-related area, which can be confusing for people in that um, here I was the English teacher uh, or communications teacher and uh, finding myself doing a fair bit of curricular work uh, in nursing education and ultimately um, medicine. Those opportunities, though, I think came out of the fact that I had strong grounding in um, pedagogical practices. Uh, and, um, you know, I may be a bit tenacious as well, up for the challenge, if you will. Um, and over time, over time, I took uh, much of that learning and said, you know, I'm going to pursue um, a, a doctorate in education. And um, I did it relative to the experiences of Uh, nurses who were studying online to progress from a a diploma status to a baccalaureate status. Uh, And ultimately, I ended up in um, a couple of faculties of of, uh, nursing, uh, teaching 
some face-to-face, but more so the online. Uh, so that gives you a bit of a picture of, of the journey, which has no straight lines. It's a Harry <laughs> Chapin song that speaks about the circuitous journey, uh, but uh, fantastically interesting. And I think something that has really positioned me well to speak about um, online education today versus 20 years ago. Excellent. So, Lorraine, when, when was your PhD? It was, um, was it the early 2000s? Uh, Mid-2000s, I was completed. And, um, you know, I had this opportunity to marry up a couple of things that were quite near and dear to my heart. Uh, it included, if you will, uh, the experience of working with nurses. And I, again, I am a non-nurse, but at the same time, uh, came to be uh, knowledgeable in a lot of the areas of nursing education. Uh, writing, because as you will know, Mark, a lot of the history in terms of online education in its earliest days was writing-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, the um, excitement that was mine all the way through this in terms of um, the access and the breadth that comes with online education. So I finished in uh, 2006. Mm, okay. So how has uh, practice changed over those years? Uh, so you've seen about 14, 15 years worth of online practice. How have things shifted in terms of how you would operate online uh, now compared to 15 years ago? An interesting question. And I would say that there is significant similarity, but there are definite differences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as everybody who would be listening uh knows um, the pandemic of 2020 forced, I suppose, an emergency response uh, to teaching and learning and many, many other things. Um, So some of the things I see to be the same uh, are the realities that I'm going to call it good, uh, for lack of a better descriptor this afternoon, um, enhanced experiences for students and teachers good online education, in my opinion, whether it was 15 years ago or today, requires instructional design. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've mentioned the pandemic and the response that has occurred. That to me is a bit of a worry point in that everyone has stepped up and kudos to folks for doing so. Um, But I'm not confident In fact, I think I probably have lots of colleagues that would agree with me uh, that this careful, thoughtful presentation of ideas, uh, supports for students, uh, decisions about navigation, what are the right tools, um, what are the wrong tools, because there's too many of them. I'm not sure that we have done that in, you know, the present window. Um, But something that I trust will be corrected, if you will, Uh, I don't want to sound like a teacher, but perhaps I just did, is this concept that we need to be very judicious and we need to be thoughtful if, in fact, learning's accomplished in in a good, positive way and where we're not just throwing stuff at, you know, the environment because we can do it. Something else that's significantly different is the number of, of tools Uh, available. Uh, Perhaps I am of the mind that um, a couple of carefully selected tools or applications is a far better way to go than, you know, 
eight or 10 options that simply, I think, confuse people. So that, I think, is a, a significant difference. We didn't have quite as much then, but that might have been a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I, I do remember around, it would have been the, the late 2020 zeros, uh, when a whole lot of online services came out that you could easily subscribe to for free. And I do remember yes. some online educators treating it like a bit of a grab bag. Uh, you'd have a Wordle here and something else and, and another part of your yeah. course. And it, it did get quite confusing. Yes, I, I would, um, you know, heartfully uh, agree with you in that fundamentally those of us that come from teaching backgrounds it is a relationship with yes the curriculum but it's more so the relationship with the student around the curriculum and uh, give anybody too much choice there is this conceivability and ultimate reality that there can be a lot of confusion um, McMaster is a well-regarded university and does many, many things very well. Um, and that is where I am presently. Uh, and I'm in an administrative position around online education. But I'm very happy to see that it's being reflective on what we did and what we didn't do uh, over the course of, you know, the unfolding of the 2020 window and say, yep. We did what we had to, and what might we do a little bit differently now? Mm, good point. So, Lorraine, you've got uh, around about 60 peer-reviewed articles, uh, quite a few book chapters out there. What are some of the ideas and themes for online learning that your work provides? If you were to synthesize the lessons from all of that scholarship, what are some of the key things that would come out? So thanks for asking that, Mark, because sometimes folks will see um, someone who comes from a, a teaching background, and that is where I have come from. Um, as maybe not um, going to be a scholar in the field. Mm, um, yeah. For me, though, one of the greatest appeals of the quote-unquote internet and technology was the fact that I could write and I could share that writing. Uh, and likewise, there is deep-seated in me um, a desire to understand what is working particularly well and likewise, what we need to conceivably, you know, make some modifications around. So um, if I were to identify what I regard to be the primary themes and ideas that I see in my own work, that obviously I regard to be of some importance, I think they would be um, threefold. I have mentioned the fact that I have done a fair bit of work in health education, and out of that, I think the focus in health education on interprofessional practice is something that I think plays perfectly into what we should be doing around online education. So better understanding, and I think it's pertinent today, uh, as it was maybe when I did some work in interprofessional practice and online, is the concept of the, the team that is required to facilitate online education in its, you know, better best forms. Uh, I, I'd also think that uh, one of the themes or threads that runs through my own work is the concept that online is that which can facilitate access. We're incredibly um, aware today of the importance of access and accessibility. Those individuals who perhaps did it in earlier days, 15, 20 years ago, 
we did it because where I was living and working at the time, which is Northern Ontario, geography is real, inclement winter is real, mm-hmm. uh, limited access to post-secondary organizations. So for me, this concept of uh, online as a facilitator and enabler of access, it's not perfect by any means. And, you know, Mr. Murphy will come to call many times and in many ways, Hmm. but I think it provides access in a way that we could not have if it were not here, to be frank with you. Yeah. And finally, I think, you know, the third point for me is that health education is a complex area. There's no doubt about it. Um, But I would say to the naysayers (laughs) around online education um, that nurses and physicians uh, and others in the allied health professions have, have broken some real ground in terms of online education and that we should perhaps, you know, look and see you know, what are the strengths and the weaknesses uh, and the opportunities of um, taking complex ideas and breaking them into appropriate parts. Uh, And then the environment is the online. So those to me are, you know, three primary areas. I I chuckle Mm -hmm. um, when I hear people say, well, you know, that's not doable. I'm there. Mm, that's not doable because you've decided it's not doable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if we look back into um, the research of some fantastic people, we will see that many of these things are quite doable. They're not easy, but they are possible. Mm, absolutely. Lorraine, I just want to pick up on your comment of taking complex ideas and turning them into their parts so that they can be uh, more easily understood and learned from. That really comes back to the instructional design aspects you talked about earlier. So the, the early training you've had, the teaching, uh, the instructional design, the pedagogy, is that still serving you now? Is, has that been a, a constant theme as well throughout your career? Absolutely. Um I noticed Tony Bates is, of course, um, pretty much known by anybody that's been around this discipline mm-hmm. or practice for a long time and that he's been one of your go-to people. I remember um, a conversation with Tony, and again, it probably was 15, 16 years ago, and and he said, you know, the ID is the person who's most pivotal here mm-hmm. uh, because he or she uh, we'll work with somebody that has something important to share, but it may have a complexity that uh, the ID will break down into its component parts mm-hmm. or make it available via language that may not be full of engineer speak or, or medical speak, but not lose the, the core of it. Uh, yes, my present work is in an administrative role, Mark, And um, fundamentally, 80% of what we do is in online for adult learners. Mm -hmm. When I went into this role, I made with others uh, a very distinct decision that we would have a core team of instructional designers Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise we're just taking our chances. Um, The subject matter expert has phenomenal knowledge and information, and I think they're two different things, uh, to share. Um, But the ID is the individual who is able to 
open the door, make the pathways visible uh, to Mm. the learners. So I believe pretty strongly in that. So that would probably be a fourth theme, if you will, in terms of things that I regard to be exceptionally important in research past and research present. Mm, Excellent. Lorraine, have you seen some really good examples of what you'd call creative or clever practice that maybe you could tell us about? So creative and clever practice, or both, I think, can go together. Interestingly, I'm going to switch, if you will. My area is adult education at present. Um, I think what we're seeing in terms of elementary education, not that I think online should be, you know, where you want your six-year-old to be indefinitely, but I think some of the work that is coming out of uh, elementary education and into, of course, secondary education has been uh, spot on. I have a, a grandson who is of the younger set, and some of the things that he has described to me in terms of the uh, changing it up as facilitated by his teacher, this is not particularly clever. It's actually really basic, uh, but not asking people to sit for much too long in front of a screen, but to break it up, to send a child away from the screen for a little bit uh, and say, now, you know, take 10 minutes and draw me something or do something and then we can talk about it. Those are so basic, Mark, those Mm -hmm. ideas, but they're so fundamental. You know, at the other end of the spectrum, of course, we have some extremely sophisticated applications occurring in uh, in medicine and in engineering, um, which is a well-regarded school here at McMaster, where we can turn that cadaver over 15 times and have a look at it in ways that you simply couldn't do in the live setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those types of applications, I think, are sophisticated for those in the professional schools and really showing where we can go uh, in contrast with saying you know, here's a diagram and, mm, and so mm. forth. So, yeah, there's lots of really exciting happening too. Lorraine, I just want to come back to your mention of instructional designers and their role. Um, team dynamics, how, how does that work when you've got a subject matter expert um, or an academic faculty member working with an instructional designer? What, what are some of the uh, key things that you do to make sure that that relationship is a positive one? Yeah, that's um, an extremely critical point, Mark. I'm reflecting on an experience that um, a subject matter expert has recently had with one of our IDs, tremendous individual with outstanding knowledge, but the clarity point uh, between the ID and the subject matter expert, somebody someplace along the way didn't make things as clear as maybe they could, should be. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, how, how do you retrieve that situation? Uh, fundamentally, the relationship itself is solid. Uh, so you call on that, if you will, to say, you know what? Hey, I wasn't, let's say it's the ID. I wasn't as clear as I should have been. Uh, we, however, have respect for each other and let's just back it up and take another run at it. But I do think that it's not everybody that can or should enter into the ID arena I think that individual needs to have exceptional uh, relationship skills, an ability to listen hard and to be receptive to 
um, the ideas of the subject matter expert, which perhaps is totally new curricularly to the idea. And, um, you know, have that very open way in the early days of the establishment of the relationship. And then likewise, that the ID person needs to continue to earn that trust Mm. by being responsive, by being collegial, and um, always willing to, to take it to the next step, if you will, in terms of saying, you know, you had a terrific thought there last week, and I maybe didn't see where it would fit then, but now I, I understand, and maybe we could mm. give it a give it a try here. I used to really like it, Mark. They'd send me off when I was with the Continuing Education Center in earlier days to work with the chemists, to work with the historians, to work with the philosophers. Mm. And it was like, ooh, where am I going today? Um, but the ability to, to listen, to communicate, to like people, <laughs> and to, to care about the teaching and learning process and, and respect, I think, for uh, the expertise that is in the subject matter expert uh, made a world of difference. Mm, it's all about those relationships and the ability to communicate clearly. You got it. Mm. Lorraine, we're currently, uh, well, we're still in the pandemic stage, aren't we? Here in New Zealand, for example, we're recently back to what we call our level three. So the world is still reeling a little bit from the uh, COVID yes. virus. What are your observations about online learning and education at the present time? So you did earlier mention uh, ERT, emergency remote teaching. Uh, anything mm-hmm. else you'd like to add there? So, yes, I heard about New Zealand um, over the weekend. Uh, um, Ontario, I think, is probably behind you folks. What are my observations? I'm hoping that there will be a bit of, um, I want to call it second sober thought Mm -hmm. in terms of um, kudos to all who have been engaged in this, but that we, we take enough time, we don't have a lot of time because terms keep coming and so forth, mm-hmm. that we take a little bit of time to say, so what did go well and what would we do as we progress forward? I think it has put online education out there in, in front of the world. Um, I would say to individuals, going back to earlier in our conversation, Mark, I would say there is some very good literature um, that perhaps is worth consulting. Mm. My father would say, Mark, you don't have to make all the same mistakes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, consulting the existing literature and reaching out to those who have thrashed their way uh, in the earlier days of uh, online, I think is, is really good counsel because certain things are different and certain things are not. You know, that ID principle is critical, whether I was doing it 20 years ago or whether I'm going to do it 20 years from now. But uh, I I do worry a little bit, and I've touched on this already, but I think it's worth noting. I do worry a little bit about the number of players that are in it. Industry is very happy to court you and sell you something. And I'm not sure that those decisions should be should be taken quickly. I think we need to be very thoughtful about what it is that we choose to do. Mm. And the the other piece is that, sure, I can go and learn 
via Amazon or Google, et cetera. And I'll learn, but the human support piece is something that I worry a little bit about. And uh, whether a person is six, 16 or 46, it's that human element that uh, I'm hoping we can keep front and central to online education as we go forward. Mm, mm, absolutely. Lorraine, you're well-researched yourself. You've been recognised multiple times for your research practices. What research would you most like to see now? What do you think uh, the world most needs right at this moment? I, I've alluded to this in my previous remarks here. I would like to, to see greater emphasis in the research that will unfold uh, in terms of, call it the humanization or the humanity uh, within the online context. And related to that, I think, is the fact that I'd like to believe that educators are not just about the transmission of information, but that we're interested in the cultivation of people. Uh, so I think in this go-forward period that we're in, careful consideration, careful research of um, the person in, in the mix of this. And I'm, I'm thinking very much about the learner here uh, will be important. We've talked a fair bit about the ID process, but in my notes um, preparing for this, have we done enough research in that area? I don't think so. Uh, I think we need to understand that relationship piece. And then we also need to understand how it is that the ID process informs the the educational experience. I'd like to see some more in that without, you know, beating the topic. Uh, I, I believe it is important. Uh, and then the whole issue of privatization and online education. I do think there is opportunity for thinking very openly about education through online. But I also think that because we have so many players who say, you know, I've got this piece of the pie uh, and you need to come with me, that uh, is a little bit of a, a niggle. And I think we need to understand the role and the place of public education, open education, education as it's being offered by private providers. Yeah. So is that somewhat of a reaction? I don't mean this in a bad way, um, but no. against automation of education. So it becomes so automated that we actually neglect that human touch. Absolutely. I, I always chuckle, Mark, when uh, people talk about use of analytics in courses. Yes, we can count and multiply and divide and put percentages in place on just about anything. And when it comes to education, I think mm, that's that's only the peripheral of it mm, type mm. of thing. Uh, I know that analytics are here to stay, but the relationship between the development of the person and, you know, how many times they did X, Y, and Z in a course environment or a learning environment. That, I think, we're selling ourselves short if we believe that the analytic count is evidence of, of, of the learning piece mm. by individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded, too, as you're talking of the difference between education as knowing and education as becoming Right. Um, yeah, there seems to be another dimension there that you're bringing out in your response, which uh, I really appreciate. Yeah, I think you've probably done a better job than I have, Mark. But it is one thing to know something; it is another to be moving forward as a as a human being. You know, to mm -hmm. becoming. Uh, so I think that's 
something that we should we should bear in mind. The other the other area is um, plain old fashioned cost. I'm sure there are many organizations out there that are saying, "Yeah, okay, if we don't um, if we don't have to have as many teachers and as many buildings because we've gone online, that's a cost saving." Well, I would argue that if you do the online piece very well, that you need casts, you need mm-hmm. that team, you need that interprofessional team. So I'm not sure that it is a big cost saving, but I think we need to understand it better before we let go teachers or something as unfortunate as that. Um, mm-hmm. Because we're going to put one teacher with a large group of, of students and so forth. And I don't believe it is a good thing for six-year-olds and 10-year-olds, 16-year-olds to spend day in and day out in front of the screen. I know that Mm. with the pandemic, we have had to move there in so many regards, but at the same time, it's that balance. Mm, Absolutely. So, Lorraine, there will have been many who have influenced your thinking about online teaching practice and who may have inspired you over the years. Are there any in particular you could highlight for us? So one of my uh, current influences right now would be Dr. Paul Brinsloo. Paul is with uh, the University of South Africa. Yeah. Uh, and Paul is just, for my mind, a moral thinker, a progressive individual, and a scholar beyond most of us, for sure. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to meet him in Canada here a couple of times and if there's somebody that, you know, I sit up and listen to, uh, it would be Paul. Um, more locally, in Ontario, I'm going to mention a gentleman. His name is Maxime Jean-Louis. And he has been the, I'm going to say, the chief executive officer for an organization called Contact North. Yes. Um, again, this is somebody who cares deeply about education and access education and community. And um, through changes in government, when of course you don't know if your organization is going to continue, et cetera, uh, Maxim has uh, stayed steadfast to the idea that education is a right and online education is a way by which we can uphold that right. Uh, So both Paul and Maxim are, are top of my list. And, uh, yeah, I suspect you you may know both of them. I, I have interviewed Paul before. He, he really is a wonderful person. Um, I did meet him, too, at a, a Needham event in, I think it was yes. Italy, Genoa, a few years ago. Yeah. yeah, he's completely delightful on top of everything else, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And Maxim, his, his um, the word is steadfastness in terms of the goal in Ontario. And um, that has meant both uh, programming in English and in French, Uh, and commitment to rural, remote, northern, small communities. Those are values that really stand out for me. Well, Lorraine, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I've learned a lot, uh, and I've really enjoyed reflecting on what you've been saying as we've been talking. So thank you so much for being a leader in online learning. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been a unique pleasure for me, and uh, I hope we can connect uh, in the future. Wonderful. I certainly hope so. You can learn more about Lorraine and her work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com, to follow up on this episode's guest. 
You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.